0: All right, grab your Bibles, uh, we're going to turn, I'm going to hit a lot of scriptures today, um, I, you won't be able to turn to all of them with me, that's okay, but for right now, go to Luke chapter 22 and 2 Peter chapter 1, Luke 22 and 2 Peter 1. All right, we'll start in Luke chapter 22. I'm reading uh, from the English Standard Version, verse 14. When you're there, say amen. amen. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said... Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Skipping over now to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, I'm going to read now from the New Living Translation. By his divine power... God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Somebody say everything. everything. We have received all this, all of this by coming to know Him, the One who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share in His divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. What do these two verses have in common with each other? Well, I want to show you that today. Here's the thing. God has given us great and precious promises, but these promises are for a purpose. He doesn't just give us promises because He wants us to enjoy them. He does want you to enjoy them. But that's a byproduct of the real reason He gives us promises. He gives you these great promises. And Peter tells us for two reasons. Number one, to share in His divine nature. So God makes promises to man... Not just to make you a millionaire, but so that you can live your life in such a way that it goes beyond what you can do in your natural state, but you enable are enabled to live according to the divine nature of God. So His promises allow a piece of heaven to be deposited in you and in your life in such a way that the world can't deny it wasn't you, it was something bigger than you. So my question to you is, is there any divinity going on in your life? Or is it too natural? His plan for you was so that you would live a supernatural life, more than you could on your own, reliant upon the divine nature of God. This is His plan. And so when He gives us promises, it doesn't matter what the promise is. Every promise in Scripture is designed to put supernatural power from God in you when you're walking through the world. When we, um, when we read Malachi uh, chapter 3, where he'll open up the windows of heaven over our life and pour out uh, blessings in the English Standard Version until there is no longer a need. He wants you to be blessed, but more than that, He wants you to live and and be enabled to live in the divine nature. That's what the promise is all about. The second reason is this. So first, He wants you to live according to His divine nature, to share in it, to participate in it. But the second reason is to escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Look, Look, these are the promises that enable you and, and allow you to escape the world's corruption, corruption caused by human devi- desires. He wants you to escape. When you say, Pastor Renan, how do you live outside of sin? Because of these promises, help me to escape corruption caused by my desires and my humanity. You say, well, you know... Those, those pastors and elders, and they can live right because they don't have the same desires as we do. No, no, no. We all have human desires. But when you have the promises of God at work in your life, it allows you to escape the world's corruption and it allows you to overcome those desires. A promise is an offer with a guaranteed result. Chances are really high though that we have not fulfilled all the promises of God. The chances are really high that in my life and yours, there are promises in this scripture that He's given to me and you that we haven't seen come to pass yet. And I want to see them in my life. I want to see them happen. I want to see the promises of God at work, visible and tangible every day of my life. And I assume that you do too. But we've all had broken promises. The husband who promised he would provide for you the boss who promised you a raise seven years ago the diet drink that promised to taste just like the real thing the shampoo that promised you would stop going bald the 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 politician who promised change the 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 wife who promised you just had to go in one store in the mall real quick won't take but just a minute you know who you are ladies and, and we live in a world full of broken promises, but God never breaks his promise. They may not be fulfilled, but they are never broken because he cannot break his promise. And I love this verse in Joshua chapter uh, 21, uh, verse 45. I, I love this verse. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All. Came to pass. Keep going. Is that the rest of that verse here? Okay, there there we go. No, all of them came to pass. Not one world word failed. You know there were probably a few times in Scripture uh, when 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 the Israelites thought that it wasn't going well. This is not looking good. God, are you sure? But at the end of the book of Joshua, he said all of the promises came to pass. Not one word failed. Well, let's fast forward to the book of Hebrews because I know what you're thinking. That's Old Testament, Pastor Renner. That doesn't count today. Oh, yes, it does. Watch this. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17, reading from the message translation. When God wanted to guarantee His promises, He gave His word a rock-solid guarantee. Here's how it worked. God cannot break his word. He doesn't have the ability to break his word. And because his word cannot change, the promise is likewise unchangeable. I can break my word. You may not think very highly of me, but I have the power to break my word. God cannot there's only a few things that god cannot do in the world and one of them is he cannot break his word so here's what happened when he when he wanted to swear or swear by something greater swear on something that you knew wouldn't change he said i I can't i can't swear on my mama's grave because i didn't have a mama so i swore on my word which could never change And because my word cannot be broken, these promises are likewise unchangeable. The promises that came all the way through Scripture exist 2,000 years after Jesus and they are still unchangeable. We who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. This, you have every reason to go to God and say, God, you gave me this promise. I found it in your word. And if your word says it, it cannot change. So the promise cannot change. And I'm going to hold on to it and sh- sit it in front of your face every single day of my life until it comes to pass. I have every reason and right to do that. He says this, it's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of god the promises of god are a lifeline that gets you right into his presence how do you want to get how do you get into the presence of god one of the ways is you walk in on the promises First off, the, the promise that when Jesus tore the veil, it was a promise that we could always enter. No matter what we had done, no matter who we are, no matter what we look like, I have this promise that I can get into the presence of God, Jesus. And I have these promises that you said you would do. I'm doing my part, God. Where's yours? And they get you into his presence. It is a lifeline to get you there. I am pursuing all that God has for me. And I'm inviting every person in this church, every person watching online, to pursue all that God has for you this year. I'm inviting you to jump into the promises of God and pray them over your life. Learn what they are and declare them and watch what God will do. And if you don't want everything that God has for you, I don't know what to tell you because that's where we're going. We're going to see God move. So let's go now back to Luke 22. What does this idea of of promise have to do with the Lord's Supper? What does this idea of promise have to do with taking communion? Remember, communion was begun right here at the institution of the Lord's Supper. Now, I chose Luke chapter 22 for a very specific reason. Um, Luke chapter 22 gives us a little bit different um, a few more details of the story of the Passover meal with Jesus and his disciples than the other versions do. Normally when I stand up to take communion, I'll read Matthew 26 or I'll read first Corinthians or I'll read one that's a little more plain, but, but Luke 22 kind of messes you all up. And I don't know if you've been like me and I've been taking communion since I was of an age to understand what I was doing. Um, Communion is a very important piece of our tradition, of our walk with God, of our relationship with Him. And I, and I think it's something that you, you should do often as you remember God. A lot of people do uh, communion very differently in, in this church and in my family. Uh, we never actually drank wine at communion because when I was a kid, wine was a sin. It was a one-way ticket to hell. And in my efforts to get to God, I didn't want to get to hell. You know what I mean? So... <laughs> uh there was no wine we, so we drink grape juice uh and uh and that's part of it so you know we get the little packets with a little the little wafer thing at the top and then you get just just enough grape juice to try to wash it down but not much more than that you know maybe maybe you grew up in the catholic church where you you break and everybody gets in a line you come down and the priest prepares it all and everybody drinks out of the same cup and it's typically real wine you, you, you know how many former catholics in the room and you know what i'm talking about and then you get to the end and uh and, and the priest drinks the rest of it and you know all that backwash he's like down in that i'm not. I'm like, thank you, Lord, for not calling me, me to be a Catholic priest. Like they, every time I'm a, I'm a part of a service like that, I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. I don't have to do that. I get my own little cup, and you get yours, and everybody is good. Uh, but it's a very important part of the Catholic uh, tradition and belief system. And, and uh, so they, they, you drink it all, and everybody drinks from the same cup. Now, you know, in the, in the germ world that we live in today, I'm not trying to drink after all you folks. With your, with your flus and salmonellas and everything else you got, you can be having all that. <laughs> I know I said it wrong, that was on purpose Okay, just, just, um, but here's the thing all of it, even what we do whether you drink grape juice or wine, whether you all share in the cup or whether you all have your own individual it is all actually um, uh, not 100% accurate because when you read Luke and, and I'm going I'm to read it to you again Uh, Luke 22, verse 14, and I'm going to read one extra scripture, and I'll show you something that's very confusing. We all get one cup. We drink, right? And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the disciples with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. So he's doing something very specific. It's a Passover meal before I suffer. For I tell you, I'll not eat of it till it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Next verse. And he took a cup and he gave thanks. He said, take it and divide it amongst yourselves. So they all drank it. Skip down. Next verse. Uh, And so then, then they break bread, so they drink, then they break bread, then go to verse 20. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you in the new covenant in my blood. Now I want you to note, there are two cups. We get one. Jesus drank two. Actually, Jesus drank four. Luke talks about two of them. Because it was after two of them that Jesus made a very significant statement, so he recorded it. But Jesus actually drank four, because in the Jewish tradition, when you ate the Passover meal, you drank four specific cups of wine. Now, if any of you are wine drinkers, you're like, man, I've been missing out. Four cups. I could get a nice little buzz going right there eating a Passover meal. (sighs) My wife's going to kill me later. (laughs) (laughs) For <laughs> but, but this is the truth, we drink one, and it 's a great reflection of what jesus did first i 'm not suggesting that we change, but I do want you to know that in truth, there were four separate and distinct cups that every throughout the meal Jesus would stop or whoever was leading the meal would stop and they would talk about the cup and they would read a verse of scripture, and then they and then they would drink and then, then they would sing hymns throughout, always the same scripture exodus chapter 6 verse 6 and 7 they would always do it in the same order in the same way four cups this was very this is this is very shocking when you've grown up for 33 years and you only drink one cup to realize there were four so what was it all about well we back up and over the next few weeks i'm going to take you through more of the story but let me just give you a quick overview the israelites found themselves in slavery for 400 years In Egypt, to the Pharaohs, they were beaten. They were forced into labor. Uh, They 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 had all there's all types of things that they did as part of their uh, slavery. Not only did they force them to work long, hard hours, but then either before they started work or after they were done with work, they then forced them to go out and gather their own straw, so they didn't even get to eat of the fruit of their own labor even though they, they, so it was just, it was terrible slavery. Um, You know that they built uh, the pyramids and many of the ancient one, the wonders of the ancient world, they built them in Egypt. 400 years, they cried out to God. God sends Moses. Now, Moses goes back in, says to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh says, I'm not letting your people go. They go through the ten plagues. You remember the frogs and the locusts and the blood and the water. The last plague is the most devastating, and it's also the one that caused Pharaoh to let the people go. And that was, the angel of death, death came through one night, and if there was not blood on your doorpost, he killed the firstborn of both the males, and the, the, the sons, and the livestock. So suddenly, Pharaoh's waking up and his own son has died. I don't know if any of you saw the new movie Exodus. Uh, there, if, you, if you saw it or you didn't, some pieces of it are not in the Bible. But pieces of it really gave you a glimpse of what it must have been like in Egypt to have no clue what was going on but to wake up and all of the firstborn sons are dead. Pharaoh says, let my people go. So there was this angel of a death that passed over. And that's where we get the term, the Passover. Passed over, Passover. Are you tracking with me? And, and so, the, so here's what God said to the Israelites. I want you to go and I want you to sacrifice the lamb. And I want you to put the blood over the doorpost. And he went through a lot of specific things. We'll talk about those more in the upcoming weeks. Um, but every year, once they were out of Egypt and they were into uh, the wilderness and eventually in the promised land all the way until today every year in the Jewish tradition they celebrate the Passover they remember when they were in slavery and God brought them out and the way he did that was he sent an angel of death but it passed over them and went to the Egyptians so every time you sit down and have the Passover meal they have four cups because in those four cups, they remember some of the promises of God. I, I want you to see God's promises fulfilled in your life. I, I'm going to take you through really quick these, these promises from the book of Exodus, chapter six. There are four co- core promises that God gives to the Israelites that, that are still they they form the very heartbeat of God, I believe, in your life and in the world today. But before that, I need you to understand. If you want to see the promises of God fulfilled in your life, there's some things that you have to do. Here's they are. Very simply put, number one, what do I need to do in order to see God's promises fulfilled in my life? I need to know his promises. What good is a promise if you don't know it? What good is it? What good is a, a promise in Scripture if you don't even know it's there? If you need healing in your body, but you don't know that the Word says, by His stripes I am healed, the promise is doing you no good. If, if you don't know that the Bible says you're more than an overcomer, but you're getting beat up on every side, how will, you, how will it have any effect in your life? We have to know His promises. Watch this. First Chronicles chapter 17, verse 19, reading from the NIV. Lord, for the sake of your servant, for our sakes, and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made known all these great promises. He makes His promises known for you. And the primary way that He does this is through His Word. This Bible, from cover to cover, expresses to us the very promises that God made to you. Every one of them is for you. Every promise is for you. But you have to know them. Uh, The Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. But the implication there is the truth that you know. If you don't know the promises, if they've not been made known to you, they can't help you. So you have to read your word. Read your word for it gives you life. It gives you strength. Deuteronomy 28 and 12. And I'm just going to share with you one of these promises that God has really been speaking to me about this year. uh, And and I want to speak it over your life. I, I believe it's a great promise for you. The Lord will open to you His good treasury, the heavens. To give rain in your land in its season. And to bless all the works of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations. But you shall not borrow that is a great promise in the word of God that I want to speak over your life, but you have to know it. If you didn't know that verse was in there, if you didn't know that promise was in there, how would you know to pray for rain in its season and to bless the work of your hands and to know that God wants to do that for you? So we got to read our scripture. We got to know the promise. If you don't know, it won't help you. I got to know his promises The second thing I need to do is I need to understand His promises. So the first step is knowing it's in there. The second step is understanding His promises. Numbers 23 and 19. God is not a man, so He does not lie. He is not human, so He does not change His mind. He has never spoken and failed to act. Has He ever promised and not carried it through? Now, these last two are questions. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? And you may be sitting out there where you're thinking, actually, I've got a few promises that God has not come through on. There's a few things that I, that I thought he said he was going to do, but he hasn't done. There's a few verses in Scripture that I, I'll just, I, you know, I, I mentioned Malachi chapter 3 earlier. He's going to pour out blessing till there's no longer any need. God, I still have a need. Can I get any people? Is there anybody out there with a knee? Say, Amen. That's, that's just like. So, what is? The, how is it that he's spoken and has he ever spoken and failed to act? the The implied answer is no. Has he ever promised and not carried it through? And the implied answer is no. But I'm saying, I haven't seen it yet, and it's and it's because of this reason. I know the promises, but I don't fully understand his promises couple things you need to understand about the promises of God. Number one, they are unconditional. And this is what I mean by that. There is nothing that you could do that would stop God from wanting to bless you. There is nothing that you can do, no sin that you could commit, that would stop God from wanting to fulfill his promise in your life. His desire to fulfill His promise and His desire to come through on His Word will never change. But, most every promise of God is conditional. So at the same time it's unconditional, it is always conditional. There's always this premise read through your scripture and it's, and there's always, uh, mo- not, not every time, but most every promise in scripture, it always involves some premise that we do this and God does that. And he's always wanting to, it's, he's waiting on pins and needles to do what he said, but there's a premise. We have to do something. So you gotta, you've got to understand the promises. So, some of those premises might be walking in right relationship with God, you say, well, Pastor Randen, I I read my scripture, but how's your relationship with God? Are you walking in right relationship? Uh, you might have to understand His way. God's going to do His promise His way. That means in His time, and the frustrating thing about God is He never seems to be in a hurry. Why? Because He's teaching you while delivering you. Uh, god's promises are going to require faith from you faith is the currency of heaven faith is the thing that gets god going and without faith you're wasting your time every promise requires faith it is conditional if you don't believe and you have no faith it's not going to move the hand of god without faith it is impossible to please god that's what the bible says so, so let's go back to uh, Deuteronomy 28 and 12. Let's understand a couple things about this. Um, first off, if you go back to verse 1 and 2 and 3, he says, If you diligently obey all the commands that I have for you, then the blessings of God will overtake you. H- here's the promise. This blessing right here, you couldn't stop it if you wanted to if you're obeying God. If you're obeying all the commands of God, there is nothing you can do to stop this blessing. You can't run fast enough to get away from the blessings and the promises of God if you are obeying all His commands. Not three or four of them, but all of them. But if you're not, I can't promise you that Deuteronomy 28 and 12 is going to come through for you this year. So while I want to declare it over your life, I can't do that for those that are not willing to obey all the commands of God. So we just have to understand that. So don't get mad at God when we tie His hands. Watch this. Something else I want you to understand here. The Lord will open to you His good treasury, the heavens. So... um, when I think when I read this scripture, I don't know why, but I always think about the duck. It was a little com- it was a cartoon when I was a kid, and he was really really rich, and I can never remember his name, uh, but he was really really rich, and he had all the money in the world, and and he had a big safe that was like a building, and he would he would go swimming in the money and the gold. Does anybody remember that you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Ducktales. Ooh, dun na 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 na. Okay, now you remember. All right. And he would go swimming in his money because he had so much. And when I, for some reason, every time I read this scripture, I env- envision God like swimming in all of the good things. Whatever is good and would be a blessing to you, he's got so much of it. And he is opening up his treasury and he says, I'm, I want to I pour it out for you. But notice this little word. He says, I'm going to open to you the good treasures, the heavens, too. So he's not just opening them, but he's opening them for a purpose. He's opening them to do something. And here it is, to give rain to your land in its season. So here's the deal. One of the things that God holds in his treasury is rain. It's that thing that causes the ground to produce you can plant all the seeds in the world, but if it never gets water, it won't grow. That's right. You can work as hard as you can to till the ground and to plant and to fertilize, but if it never gets water, it won't grow. It will die in the ground. But here's what God says. So here's His promise to you this year. You ready? For the, thing, for the seeds that you've been planting, for the, for the ground that you've been tilling, for the things that you've been working on. I'm going to give you rain. You do what you can do. And I'm going to cause it to grow. You see, I, I can't make a seed grow. God does that. I plant it. I work. I do my part. And then God causes it to grow. So here's the word over your life this year. If, you, if you're, doing, and you're doing things according to His word. And you're believing and living and walking on faith. The things you've been working on. He wants to bless them, and He wants to give them rain and cause them to multiply this year. But my question to you is, what have you been working on? I, sadly, I find Christians all the time that are doing nothing and expecting God to drop a million dollars in their lap. I'm going to be a millionaire. How? God's going to do it. Publishers Clearinghouse. Well, how many of you have had Publishers Clearinghouse knock on your door? <laughs> I mean, Come on. So what are we doing? We have to do something. Here's what the Bible says. Write the vision and make it plain so that he who reads it may run. And I I love that verse because he goes on to say, you're running? So we write the vision. God, what's the vision? In this 21 days of prayer, God, what's the vision for my life this year? What do you want me to do so I can run with it? And and then here's what he says. It goes on. And if the vision tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come. So there's this interesting thing going on that Habakkuk tells us. There's this running and waiting all at the same time. I'm running and I'm working and I'm laboring, but I'm waiting on God. I'm running like it depends on me, but I'm waiting because I know that God's going to give the increase. And so he's giving you rain in your land in its season. Turn to your neighbor and say, it is my season. Man, I am preaching a lot better than you're. Amen. And today, I'm telling you, thank you. And here, God goes on because He didn't just open the heavens so that you could multiply. But here's what He said: It's not just about uh, the work that you're doing, at the labor that you're doing. Here's this: He's going to bless all the work of your hands everything you put your hand to, he wants to bless it. Not just at your job, he wants to bless you there. Not just in your business, he wants to bless you there. But everything you do, the hobbies that you have that are just for your enjoyment, he wants to bless you in them. You know why? Because God loves you that much, he wants to bless everything that you put your hand to. If you decide this year I'm going to be a better father and you put your hand to it, you're going to be blessed. If you decide I'm going to get out of debt this year and you put your hand to it, I'm getting out of debt this year. If you decide I'm going to be a better husband, I'm going to be a better husband because he's going to bless me to do it. If whatever you decide and you put your hand to it, he's going to bless you. But my question for you is, what are you going to put your hand to? He did not say, I'm going to do it for you. He said, whatever, I'm going to bless all the work of your hands. What are you doing? When you start, he's going to bless it now that's a promise from God that's a promise but it's conditional we've got to obey his word we've got to work the fields and we've got to put our hands to something and if you do those things his promise is going to be fulfilled in your life what's your plan what's your vision this year I I challenge you over the next 21 days to write it and make it plain make it clear you say well I don't have all the answers it's okay write what you know and ask God to reveal the rest that's what God wants to do for you that's what God wants to do. For you. So we've got to know his promises. We've got to understand his promises. And then finally, we have to pursue his promises. We have to go after them. Some things are worth chasing down. Some things are worth spending a little time thinking about. Here's what the, uh, the psalmist wrote in one, Psalm 119, verse 140. Your promises have been thoroughly tested and your servant loves them. I've watched your promises be tested in my life, God, and I love them. And I'll do whatever it takes to see them come to pass in my life. They are worth it. He goes down in verse 148. He says, my eyes stay open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. Why don't you spend time meditating, thinking, spend some time in prayer with God We often say, I don't know what God wants from me. But if we were really honest, have you spent any time meditating and thinking and just allowing God to speak to you? Think about His promises and He might just tell you how to receive them in your life. He has a better life for you. A promise is to send forth a guarantee about your future. God has some guarantees. Do you want to see them? Pursue it. 2 Corinthians 1 and 20. For all the God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with the resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for His glory. All of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ. I, I want to lay a foundation for the next few weeks. Exodus chapter 6. These four promises of God give us a a picture of what God wants to do in our lives. And most every other promise in Scripture points to one of these. Verse 6 and 7. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and here he begins with these four I will statements. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. These are four I will statements, and each one of them reflects a core promise that God wants for every believer. The first was this, I will bring you out. I will bring you out. Remember they were in slavery. They could not get out on their own. They needed someone to do for them what they could not. So God said, I'll save you. This is the promise of salvation. I will bring you out. Uh, And it's not just about church attendance. And it's not just about calling yourself a Christian. It is about coming out of slavery. It's about relationship. Here's what Titus chapter 3, verse 3 through 8 says. It wasn't so long ago that we ourselves were stupid and stubborn. Dupes of sin. Ordered every which way by our glands, meaning our body, told us what to do. Going around with a chip on our shoulder. Hated and hating hating back. But when God, our kind and loving Savior God, stepped in, He saved us from all that. It was all His doing. We had nothing to do with it. He gave us a good bath, and we came out of it new people, washed inside and out by the Holy Spirit. Our Savior Jesus poured out new life so generously. God's gift. And here it is. Here's salvation has restored our relationship with him and given us back our lives. And there's more life to come an eternity of life. You can count on this. The first promise that God has for every one of us is the promise of salvation. I will bring you out. Salvation is about restoring relationship. You should be a member of a church. You should be a Christian. You should be involved in serving. But salvation is about restoring relationship. And this is the foundation of the purpose and the mission of God. The, The mission and the reason that Jesus came to this earth is that we could have salvation. He did it for the Israelites. He brought them out of slavery in Egypt. And he'll bring you out. The second promise, I will deliver you. I will deliver you. This is the promise of deliverance. And I know what you're thinking. Deliverance is like I've seen on the movies with the head spinning around in a circle and the priest walking in with the cross and the, and the claw marks and the exorcists and all that. that. That's not what that's not what he's talking about here. Deliverance is simply this. The, God brought out the children of Israel from slavery but they didn't know how to live in freedom they were still slaves in their mind even though they had their freedom they didn't know how to live they didn't know how to, uh, how to form a society how to work together literally when you read the book of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and you read the laws God had to tell them how to do everything because they had no idea Here's the promise of God. I don't want to just save you, but I want to deliver you from your old life. I want to deliver you from the sin and and from from what the world has tried to do in you. I want to set you free from that. Here's what Paul wrote in Galatians. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He didn't set you free so that you could be free but live as a slave. He set you free so that you could be free and no longer think and act and walk like a slave. So it's it's the getting rid of the old life. It's the getting rid of the world. It's the learning how to live and overcoming lifestyle. It's it's the learning how how to overcome the desires of our flesh. It's it's about getting rid and, and being delivered from that part. Number three, um, I will redeem you. This is the promise of restoration. It's the promise of restoration, to be redeemed. Redemption is about getting back to its original intent. Ephesians 1 and 11, uh, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us and designs on us for glorious living, Part of the overall purpose, he is working out in everything and everyone. We'll talk more about this. The third promise is about restoration. So he brings you out. He saves you. He delivers us. He he brings deliverance and gets rid of the old. And then he restores you to your original intent, his original plans. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And then number four, I will take you to be my people. This is the promise of fulfillment. Not just an individual, but corporate. It's not about a person, notice here, but I'm going to take you to be my people. So it's not just about a, helping a person, but he's going to make you a part of a people. And I will be your God. His name is going to be on you. This is a powerful promise, but it's the promise of fulfillment. And this is one of the most intriguing, and I can't wait to talk to you about this one. But each one of these four cups represents And is reflected in a part of triumph four of the main things that we do here and why we do them and you'll see them in these promises the four promises salvation deliverance restoration and fulfillment and we should drink from all four of these cups if you need salvation today i invite you to drink from the cup of salvation he he came to save you if you need deliverance today i invite you to drink from the cup of deliverance if you need to be restored drink from the cup of restoration And if you need fulfillment, drink from the cup of fulfillment. I want you to stay with me for the next few weeks because I really believe you're going to see uh, why we do what we do at Triumph and what God wants to do in your life. And as you know the promises, as you understand the promises, you're going to have the opportunity to pursue the promises and watch them be fulfilled in your life. I want to pray for you today. And then our host is going to come. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment. Did you come here today in need of salvation? Did you come here today in need of God doing for you what you couldn't do for yourself? Doesn't matter how you got to the place where you find yourself far from God, just that Jesus is here to bring you back today. If you want to make a fresh start, I want to pray with you. Whether you're in this room or watching online, would you just slip your hands up and I want to pray for you? I want to pray for you this morning. If you need salvation, yeah, there are hands going up. If you're watching online, I want to pray for you. All right, you can put your hand down. I'm going to ask every person in the room to pray this simple prayer with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for saving me, for sending Jesus to do for me what I couldn't do for myself. Forgive me of my sins. You are my God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Here in just a moment, uh, at the the conclusion of our service, these altars are going to be open. If you've got a promise in your life that you need prayer for, if you you need prayer ministry of any kind, whatever it is, I I want to pray with you. And I'm I'm about to pray one last prayer to release the promises of God over your life. I'm specifically going to pray Deuteronomy 28. But if there's Something else you want prayer with. These altars, we'll open them at the conclusion of the service. And uh, I believe that God's going to step into your life. That this is going to be the greatest year you've ever experienced. As you see His promises fulfilled. Father, I pray right now that you would open up your good treasury the heaven's. Lord, as you do, you would give us rain in in our season. Lord, I believe this is our season. And even as it is raining outside, it is a sign that you want to rain in our lives this year, Oh God. I declare that rain is coming and multiplication will happen as you do what you've promised to do. Lord, I declare that this year you are going to bless all the works of our hands, no matter what it is, no matter what we set our mind to. Bless us this year in the name of Jesus. Jesus. May we see all of your promises fulfilled. May we know them, understand them, and pursue them in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We love you.